Are you excited? Are you guys excited for Gus? Well, show it then. Show it with your love and your warm applause. Give it up for Gus. Okay. So, um, I'm going to tell a story which I, I really, really like. It's not actually a story, it's more like an interesting thing uh, that I heard about a long time ago, which really changed my point of view on religion and what it can do for us. It's about uh, our boy JC, Jesus Christ, <laughs> who was telling, uh, you, you might know the, the Sermon on the Mount, in which he says, uh, turn the other cheek. Do we all know it? Well, I'm going to do the quote, don't worry. But specifically, I wanted to talk about, or tell you guys about, share with you uh, an analysis of the particular quote that I'm going to tell you, which is by a man called Walter Wink. Uh, the quote is, as Jesus spoke before the salt of the earth, the poor people gathered around him on the mountain. He said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not fight the evildoer. If he would strike you on your right cheek, show him your left. If he would sue you for your tunic, give him also the coat on your back. And if he would force you to walk one mile, walk with him two miles. Now traditionally the way that this uh, passage has been understood, interpreted, is basically that what Jesus is telling us is don't resist, right? Just be so kind that they'll just back off, essentially. Kill them with kindness. Show that bully what a darn tootin' sweetheart you are, and they're gonna step right off. Now, I think we all know that that's not the case most of the time, uh, which is why this passage was always a part that I kind of thought was, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit over the top, Jesus, you know? Um, but then I found out this really cool analysis of it, and I'm going to take you guys through it. Uh, it's in three parts, so the three things that he says. Basically, Walter Wink argues that what Jesus is talking about in this instance is not abstract uh, metaphors for the ways in which, in which we should sort of be doormats and let bullies walk all over us. He's talking about three very specific instances of degradation, humiliation, and oppression that the people, the poor people gathered around him on the mountain, would have been experiencing in their daily lives. Number one, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, show to him your left. Now, striking someone uh, considered to be uh, of a lower socioeconomic standing than yourself was often done by, you know, the rich uh, to kind of show their authority and their dominance over people. So the, the image that I, I get, which is not quite uh, the right timeline, but it's, it's always like a Charles Dickens-esque sort of situation where an orphan sort of gets in the way of sort of some rich person that looks like Colin Firth or Benedict Cumberbatch or something like that, <laughs> and he just gives him a good backhand across the, so that he gets out of the way. And this way, he communicates to this orphan and everyone else on the street who sees it, I am top dog. I am the boss here and you are below me, right? So the first thing that's important to mention, says Wink, is that to, to strike someone, the important thing is you wouldn't use, you would never use your left hand. Your left hand is used for unclean business, wiping your butt, 
and even rich people wipe their butts sometimes. So they don't use it for social interaction. They don't use it for eating, things like this. So it would be done with your right hand. Now there's three ways that you can strike someone with your right hand. You can slap them, but a slap at the time is considered like a challenge. Like we know like the medieval slap with the glove, you know, like ice, ice, ha, huh, huh. <laughs> And that's something you would only do with someone of equal social standing to yourself. Similarly with the fists, a fist is what you use when you engage in one-on-one -on -one combat with someone. You know, the old fisticuffs. Now, Benedict Cumberbatch coming across this poor orphan on the street is not going to like, you know, have a fight with this kid. No, he's going to use the third option, the ever demeaning, degrading, a backhand across the face. Now, what Wink is saying is that Jesus is actually giving us a very particular way to deal with this situation. Could I ask you to come on stage and help me out? So, Imagine I'm sort of like a filthy, just poor little boy like Daniel Radcliffe, back in the day, Daniel Radcliffe, and you're uh, Colin Firth or Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, just, just emphasize, like, feel it in your head, you're looking down at me, and you give me a backhand, so you don't have to actually do it. Can I do it? Good. I can see what happens. Using your right hand. I can't. I'm not part of that, but okay. But you're going to have to. It's unclean otherwise. Can we then switch? <laughs> do, you want me to, do you want me to guide you? Yes. Okay. So the backhand across the face. Remember that Jesus says, in particular, he says if someone strikes you on the right cheek, if you were to backhand me with your right hand, naturally you would be backhanding me on my right cheek. At that moment, the expected response is that I cower down and I say, oh, I'm terribly sorry, Sir Benedict. I'll get out of your way. And everyone on the street now knows that you're top dog. However, if I do as Jesus says, and you backhand me, and I, hold on. This is a good part. But and I don't cower. Firstly, I stay upright. But not only do I do that, now I'm challenging your authority. You might get ready to backhand me again. Instead, I'm going to show you my left cheek. At this moment, you have a bit of a dilemma. You can't really backhand me very comfortably. It's a bit awkward. My nose is in the way. So you have to like, move or it just becomes a whole so you're faced with two options on the one hand you punch me like a goddamn equal by which you have to admit that I am on the same social standing as yourself or you just move on you may thank you So I really love this because the, 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 you know, the traditional response is basically like, oh, I'm terribly sorry, give me another one, you know? But instead, Jesus is saying, no, turn the situation on its head, turn it back around on the person, non-violently resist, stand up for your dignity and demand that they treat you as a social equal. Number two, if someone sues me, give them also my coat, not only my tunic. So at the time, uh, suing someone uh, basically, people were in debt. Poor people were in crazy amounts of debt all the time. Jesus talks about this a lot in the Bible. Um, it was a big deal. It was a big problem. It was one of the primary ways in which the sort of economic elite kept the, the lower classes oppressed. Now, in the same way that the backhand across the face is a one-on-one -on -one version of basically telling me you're filth, I think nothing of you, the criminal justice system at the time in Palestine was such that it basically 
was a structuralized way of backhanding poor people across the face, right? Even when they had literally only the clothes on their back, they would still take one of the remaining two pieces of clothing. Usually people would walk around with a tunic, which is kind of covers most of your, your stuff, and then they would leave you, and then you would also have a cloak, which would also serve as a blanket or, you know, things like that. If someone sues you for your tunic, and you say, well, fuck you, I'm giving you my cloak as well, you strip naked in front of these people. <laughs> Jesus knows that the main reason that, pe that uh, rich people would sue poor people was not because they needed more tunics. You know, they could go to, like, Galilean Zara and buy, like, a bajillion. <laughs> He knows that it's a way to keep them down. And if you then say, I don't care, and you take your clothes off and you say, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of being poor. I'm not ashamed of not owning anything. I will stand here, wagging out in the wind, and you have not cowed me one bit. Now already, this is so powerful. Like, I, I literally have goosebumps. This is already so powerful, but not only this, it's quite clever because uh, in Judaism at the time, nakedness was considered taboo. In particular, it's not as much taboo for the person who is naked in public, but it's very shameful for someone to witness it. It's shameful for you to view someone else's nudity. So what you're essentially doing is not only are you turning the table symbolically, you are literally making those people feel ashamed of themselves for what they're trying to do to you. Again, like what, what a master of symbolism and a smart, direct action-y kind of guy was Jesus. <laughs> Thirdly, and this is actually kind of my favorite one, although I do really have a soft spot for the smacking, but <laughs> the third one uh, is if someone asks you, forces you to go one mile, go two miles. Now there was actually, so the, the Roman, the Roman Empire had occupied Palestine at the time. They were a foreign occupying military imperialist force, right? Um, and they had a law in place in their colonies or in their occupied territories, the Romans did, uh, that allowed soldiers, basically allowed them, it was written in the law that you are allowed to make civilians work for you. Right? They could impress a civilian to, to carry their pack. What Jesus very cleverly knew and had figured out was that the Romans are, you know, pretty barbaric, but they're not so uncivilized that they would take this to extremes. Because after all, civilians are not slaves. You can't just use them like slaves. So there was a limit to how long you could actually make someone carry a pack, carry your pack for you. And you can guess what the limit was? It was one mile. If someone asks you to carry their pack for one mile, forces you to go that mile, and you offer cheerfully to go a second mile, no, no, don't worry about it, I got it, it's fine, I don't mind. You're doing it so cheerfully, you're, again, you're robbing sort of the, the Roman soldier of the power that they have to oppress you, right? Because if the Roman, if the soldier makes you carry it for two miles, they could get in trouble, they could be disciplined, because it's literally a law. So they could be disciplined by their centurion, however, this person offering to carry their pack a second mile is doing it so cheerfully, they're confused. They look at this person and they think, are they trying to be nice? Are they trying to get me in trouble? Are they saying I'm weak? Like I can't carry my own pack? So in this way, again, within the legal framework that existed at the time, Jesus is suggesting a way to creatively kind of rob the, uh, 
the oppressing party of the agency and take it on for yourself and stand upright uh, and demand dignity. Now this, to me, it really blew my mind. Like I loved seeing sort of the Sermon on the Mount as a sort of like nonviolent direct action workshop, essentially, that he was giving these people. Uh, and it really made me look at it differently because you, as a, a lot of people see religion as basically just a way for governments to sort of dupe their people or oppress them. But if we read, like historians, we read these kinds of uh, uh, passages like, the, like on the Sermon on the Mount, we can find out the ways in which he actually had some pretty cool, interesting stuff to say about how to creatively create justice in our day-to-day -day lives, even in oppression. Thank you very much.